You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, thankful that you can be with us on our Sunday gathering this morning. We've been talking the last few weeks about the unity that we enjoy as the body of Christ. Um, Particularly a couple weeks ago, we talked about how that unity is rooted in our commonality about some of the beliefs that we have, um, core doctrines of Scripture, core elements specifically related to the gospel, and by sharing a commonality with those things, it unites us. So we talked about the uh, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one Father uh, who's um, God of all. And so we talked about just our belief system about those things unite us, but then last week we were talking about how as believers we're not saved to become exactly like each other. Instead, we do maintain a level of individuality within our salvation, meaning that we're all created in the image of God, so we have that that unites us, but then we're created uniquely as the image bearers of God, meaning that we have different personalities, uh, we have different uh, interests, but then we also have different abilities and then even different giftings that come after salvation, ways that God takes who we are as individuals and then transforms us and desires to then use us in his kingdom. And so unity, we're all the same in that we all have this common belief system and we're all going the same direction towards this one hope, following this one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but then individuality in that we're all gifted uniquely and differently to serve within the kingdom. And it's, it's our job then to find those giftings, discover those giftings, and then utilize those giftings to do good works, to love each other and to serve each other with those gifts. And so we're going to continue that discussion today um, as we get into chapter four once again. I challenged you last week as a point of application, though, as we talked about each one of us having these grace-based abilities to serve each other. Are you currently and consistently looking for ways to serve others in the church in response to what you're learning in the Word. And so we said that the way that we use our gifts is we take what we're learning in God's Word, whether that's through the teaching of God's Word formally in a setting like this, or whether it's reading and studying it on our own personally, we take what we're learning in God's Word, and then we turn around and use the ways that God has gifted us to serve others with that um, knowledge that we have about God and with the faith that we're then expressing ourselves in Him. We turn around and use that to serve others. And so I asked you, Are you currently and consistently looking for ways to serve others with your gifts based on what you're learning from the Word? And then secondly, I told you to to spend some time thinking this past week, what are some unique uh, traits that make you who you are, and how can you use that individuality about you to serve others more faithfully? To kind of do a self-assessment and say, okay, who am I as far as how has God made me uniquely different? What are some gifts and skill sets and abilities that I have that maybe others don't have? And how could I use those not just for my own selfish personal gain, which is what we tend to do, and it's what we do certainly before we come to Christ, but we talked about how Christ transforms us, takes who we are, and makes us the best version of who we are, right? He conforms us to the image of Christ, but we don't sacrifice that individuality. He, he transforms us. We're conformed to him now, but we maintain that individuality, that, that those things that make us different from each other, and we celebrate those differences. But I challenged you last week to think about who you are, how you're different, and how you can use those differences to, to build up this body right here within this local church. And so hopefully you had some time to think and process that because that'll help you as you think and process what we're going to look at today. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked just at verse 7 last week, right? And so now we're going to get into verse 8, and we're going to go all the way down through verse 12 today. So I'll start with reading verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Our summary sentence for today says, As a result of Christ's victory over sin and death, each believer is now given gifts to help serve and grow others. 
And these gifts are used most effectively when they are informed and developed under the teaching of God's word. As a result of Christ's victory over sin and death, each believer is now given gifts to help serve and grow others. And these gifts are used most effectively when they are informed and developed under the teaching of God's word. For our kids, Christians have special gifts to serve others, and God's word teaches us how to use those gifts. And so that's the basic idea of what we're going to see today in verses 8 through 12, that it's Christ's victory over sin and death, this idea of him coming in and delivering us from captivity to the enemy, setting us free, right? Like a king, a warrior who comes in and defeats an enemy and rescues those who had been held captive. That's what Jesus does through his life, death, and resurrection. He has set us free from an invisible enemy, a spiritual enemy, one that we don't necessarily see readily with our eyes. Uh, But he has set us free from that bondage, set us free to now be his slaves to righteousness, right? And so he sets us free And then he gives gifts to us. He responds by gifting us now as members of his kingdom to serve others faithfully with those gifts. But then he goes on to talk about in this passage how he's also given us the ability to learn and to grow to then use our gifts most effectively. And so we're going to see what that looks like together today. The victory over sin and death allows us to have these gifts, to serve and grow others, and these gifts are used best. They become most effective when they are informed and developed under the teaching of God's Word. So this, again, is God taking who we are, some natural abilities and and giftings that we had before Jesus that were used for wrong purposes, maybe not completely sinful purposes, but not used for His glory, He's going to transform the way we use those things. And in some cases, he's going to give us even new giftings that we didn't have previously that now can be cultivated to be used for his glory as well. And so a combination of things that we already possessed and then also a distributing of new gifts that we get when the Holy Spirit indwells us to now use for the purposes of serving others. Now, this passage, this section this morning starts off by citing or quoting a passage from the Old Testament. So there in verse 8, it says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This is a uh, passage that comes from Psalm 68, 18, if you want to jot that down. You can look at the entire psalm because Paul is really uh, summarizing more of the idea of what's going there versus directly quoting something specific from Psalm 68. But it's a victory psalm that we find in the Old Testament, and it's really about God's deliverance and provision for his people during that time of the Exodus, when he's giving uh, enemies into their hands and he's setting them free from those who would seek to do harm to his people, David is writing and talking about how God has been faithful to deliver his people, how he's been faithful as a king to basically come in and deliver his people. Uh, A very cultural understanding there of what it would have looked like for kings to come and conquer other kingdoms and to deliver those who had been held captive. And so He uses that imagery to then help us to see what Christ has done for us. Christ has been a king who has set us free, and he's going to give gifts to us as a result. And so he quotes this passage from Psalm 68 to help us better understand what Christ has done for us. It's highlighting the authority that he demonstrates. talks about his descending to this earth and then ascending and being exalted back to heaven. Now, some people get kind of wrapped up in this thinking, is this a passage teaching that that Jesus uh, descended all the way into hell during that time period where he's dead for three days and waiting to arise again. I don't think this passage is talking about that. That would be a discussion for a different, a different Sunday. I believe instead, Paul, who's writing this, is probably uh, thinking along the same lines as he thinks in Philippians chapter 2, right? Remember that passage in Philippians 2 where he talks about Jesus uh, lowering himself to this earth, Right? taking himself who was in position with God, then bringing himself to this earth, humbling himself to be a a man, but not just any man, a man who was willing to die for all mankind and not just to die any death, but to die a death on the cross, right? So Paul has that same flow of thinking in Philippians 2. And then he talks about what? After the resurrection, he is exalted and he is given the name above every name so that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I think Paul's using that same thought process here. He's saying, hey, 
I'm talking about Jesus ascending after the resurrection. He's leading these hosts of captives and giving gifts to men. And for him to have ascended, it means also that he must have descended, right? And he reminds us that Jesus had come to this earth in a totally different way. He had come in humility. He had come to earn a victory through lowering himself to be a servant for us, right? He doesn't come in all of his glory as a king. He comes as a baby and grows up and submits himself to every trial and every temptation that we face, yet without sin, right? And he earns this victory through us by serving us. And then it's that ascension back to on high where he's earned that victory. And so verses uh, eight and nine are really a highlight of the authority of Christ and who he is and the victory that he's won and how he went about that victory by ascending after he descended in humility. And it's on those grounds that he can then turn around and give gifts to us. So we talked last week about these diverse gifts, right? That each one of us has different gifts and abilities. We're going to see some today that there's also some diverse responsibilities that are handed out in the church too. And we're going to see a contrast between what leaders do in the church and then what members are supposed to do within the church as well. And so Paul kind of breaks that down for us, and we'll look at that in a little bit more detail as we work through this passage. But let's begin by looking at uh, our first point today. We'll have two main points as we work through the text. The first one being to remember that your gifts originate from a sovereign giver. Remember your gifts originate from a sovereign giver. Our individual grace-based gifts have a spectacular origin. Our individual grace-based gifts have a spectacular origin. And so this is part of that humility mindset that he talks about earlier in the passage, that we're to maintain a state of humility and gentleness towards others. And that really starts by looking at the ways that we're successful, the things that God has given us that we then use and do for others. And a lot of times that brings about some self-exaltation and some self-glory because people are quick sometimes to turn and give us the credit for things that we're doing. And it's tempting to seize that and hold on to that and claim that for ourselves, right? But it's important to remember that the gifts that we have are are really sourced in him as the giver. James chapter 1 talks about this, right? Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. We have this conversation a lot of times uh, when I'm coaching football. You've got those kids that, that are on your team that are just naturally gifted. I mean, they just have unbelievable abilities. They can run fast. They're they're strong. They're 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 quick thinking as far as how the game works. And uh, you see some of these kids that struggle with taking credit for that themselves. Um, and then they think sometimes they don't need other people on the team. And I always try to pull those kids aside and talk to them about the fact that hey, you didn't choose to be fast. And for, for most of you, you didn't do anything to enhance your quickness. You, you were just born fast. You were born athletic. And, and I talked to them about the source of that, 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 that gift that they have. The giftings that they have come from God. And, and, and they were given to them by God, and they were given to them by God for his glory and not their own, right? And so this is a great reminder to us in this passage that the gifts that are given to us, they're given to us in, in measure and proportion to Christ's gift, verse 7 talks about And then verse 8 and 9 help us to see that it's the descending and ascending Christ who's won this great victory that is then giving these gifts to us. And so number one, our gifts are rooted in the victory won within his sovereign plan. These gifts that we possess, they're rooted in the victory won within his sovereign plan. Now think about, we've already talked about in Ephesians that, that God's plan for us to save us is rooted in eternity past, right? It's always been God's plan to save his people from their sin. And in doing so, we talked about in Ephesians 2, that by saving us, his plan is to save us to do good works, right? Like that's what was determined beforehand, that we would do good works. Not before salvation. We don't earn our salvation by good works, but we are saved to then do good works. And that's part of God's plan. That's what he desires for us. And so our gifts are rooted in this victory won within his sovereign plan. And these gifts we receive are, are a result of his victory over sin, death, and Satan. He's won a victory, and now we enjoy the spoils of it. Well, what are the spoils that we really enjoy? How does this gifting tie into our salvation? Well, think about the fact that we have been released and set free from being a prisoner of the enemy. And that now allows us to use our gifts in his service. We go from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness, okay? So 
the spoils that we enjoy is that we can now be what we were always meant to be in our creation. We were created for a purpose. We were created to give glory and honor to him, to be in submission to him, to serve him. And sin wrecked that plan from the human perspective, right? Sin wrecks that plan, wrecks our ability to carry out that purpose. And so God works to to redeem us, to bring us back into that ability to give glory and honor to him. And so the spoils, the gifts that we enjoy is that we've been saved and redeemed, and now we are being transformed and sanctified to use those gifts and abilities for him. Because without Christ working in us, without the Holy Spirit working in us, those gifts and abilities are destined to be used for ourselves, for temporary purposes that will certainly not outlive us. But now that we've been transformed, we can invest in something that is eternal. We can invest in God's kingdom and be used by him for his glory. And so these gifts we receive are a result of his victory. We've been released and set free. He's the risen victorious king who has settled in heaven and has now distributed gifts to each of his people. That's the picture that Paul gives us here. He came, he did the work necessary by descending to this earth, and now he has ascended to this position of authority, and he is giving out gifts to the members of his kingdom to serve him. We're now gifted as individual members of his kingdom to use our individuality transformed by him for kingdom service. Let me say that again. We are now gifted as individual members of his kingdom, right? We're one body, but we maintain our individuality. We're gifted as individual members of his kingdom to use our individuality, our individual gifts that are transformed by him for kingdom service. I think it's interesting too that we should note we don't just have God's gifts. We are God's gifts. When we're saved, we are each given to our churches as gifts to bless others in service. But it's not just the gifts, it's us as transformed people that become the gifts. Think about how Paul even references verse 11. He doesn't reference the gifts here as though he gave certain individuals the ability to do certain things. He just talks about how he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's very personal here, the idea that he is giving certain individuals to the church as a gift. Not just that he gave individuals gifts to be used in the church, but he actually gives the individuals as a gift. He's saying, hey, there are certain people who I have given to the church as a gift. I mean, think about Paul, the apostle Paul. He fits into this category, right? We, we, we sometimes have been told so much about who Paul was before Christ and who he was after Christ that it doesn't feel scandalous to think about him showing up and being a great leader of the church that he was previously killing, right? He was previously the greatest killer of Christians at that time outside of the secular world. He's, he's inside the, the Yahweh-fearing world and he's killing followers of Jesus, right? Like it would have been scandalous for a church to say, hey, we're really excited about our guest speaker this morning. Our pastor is out sick. He couldn't be here today. And so we asked Paul to come and speak to us. I mean, you would have been like, oh my goodness. Like, has it been long enough since he killed his last Christian to actually put him in front of a pulpit and speak? Like, is that appropriate? Like, we would have been very torn about that idea. But God's saying, hey, I've given you Paul as a gift because without me, Paul is a killer, a murderer. He's selfish and he's inclined to promote himself over you. But now he's been radically changed, radically transformed. He does have gifts and abilities, but he himself is a gift to you, right? And so Paul talks about how individuals are given as gifts, not just the gifts given to those individuals, but we should even see people as gifts to us to help grow us spiritually, Our gifts are rooted in the victory won within his sovereign plan. The only way somebody can be transformed is because Christ has won a victory. He set us free from our sin. Number two, our gifts are intended to fulfill a sovereign purpose within his plan. He gives us gifts, but doesn't just basically tell us to do whatever we want to with those gifts. Instead, they are intended to fulfill a sovereign purpose within his plan. Think about it this way. Sometimes you get a birthday card, you open it up, and there's cash in it. And some of you rejoice over the cash piece because that means somebody gave me money. They didn't buy me a gift that I didn't want. 
that I'm going to have to try to track down where they got it from so I can return it and maybe get a gift card that then obligates me to shop at that store. Now, cash is great because I can use it however I want to. Other times you open up your card and you get a gift card. And some of you prefer that. Like I actually prefer gift cards over cash, I think, because cash tends to get lost and spent on things that aren't very fun, right? Like I find myself in a spot where somebody needs a 20 and I pull my 20 out of my wallet and it's like, there goes my birthday money. I'll never remember to replace that in my wallet because so-and-so needs something, right? Like I like gift cards because I'm obligated to use it. I'm obligated to spend it on something for me. Uh, But that's part of what a gift card does, right? It limits you in that it's a gift, but it's intended to be used for a specific purpose. Sometimes when people make donations to organizations, they just make a free donation. The organization can use it however they want to. And those are really awesome situations where that person doesn't have a specific desire for it to be used in a certain way. Then the organization's free to use it however they want to. Other times, a person may give to an organization and says, I only want it used for this type of thing. And then you have to get creative to use that money for this type of thing. God gives us gifts, but he intends for us to use them in specific ways, much like a gift card. We have a specific way to use these things, and we're to use them for each other to build each other up. We become instruments that he uses to fill the universe with his glory. Look what it says back in our text. We've seen him ascend. His ascension is based on his descension. It says, verse 10, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. And why did he do all these things? Why did he descend to this earth to ascend back to heaven? He did it so that he might fill all things. All right, God is all about revealing who he is to his creation. And so his plan of salvation is just one more component of that. It's him revealing who he is to his creation, and he wants to fill the earth with his glory, and he does so through the church. And we talked about this back in chapter 1. So if you want to flip back for reference to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, talking about the church and how Paul's praying for the church to to have enlightened minds and hearts, to see the goodness of who Christ is and the plans that Christ has for us. It talks about the authority of Jesus in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Talking about that ascension of Jesus again. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And we talked when we went through this chapter in this section of this chapter one, that the desire of God is that the church would take who he is and fill the earth with that knowledge, to fill the earth with his glory, to draw creation, to see who he is. The Bible talks about when, when we do good works, it's meant to show others the glory of our father, right? And so that's what we're supposed to do. He's gifted us so that we can carry out that purpose, verse Uh, 10 is talking about in chapter 4. He's given us these gifts so that he might fill all things. How does he fill all things? He fills that through the church. And we're his instruments that he uses to fill the universe with his glory. So therefore, each one of us becomes a unique instrument or a unique tool that is properly fitted to fulfill a specific purpose of making his glory known in all. Let me say that again. Each one of us becomes a unique instrument or a unique tool that is properly fitted to fulfill a specific purpose of making his glory known and all. Why do I say that? Because what we saw last week is that we all are gifted differently, right? If we all had the exact same purpose in the kingdom, we'd all have the same gifts. But the New Testament goes to great lengths to show us how we are all gifted differently. Some of us have different gifts from others. Some of us have the same type of gifts, but we have different levels of ability with those gifted, with those giftings, right? So we're all fitted uniquely and specially for the purpose that God has for us. And he wants us to use those gifts for those purposes. Now, thinking in terms of of a tool, okay? Um, You have some tools in your toolbox that are very common that would probably find their way into most people's houses in here, right? Like by show of hands, how many of you have a screwdriver at home? Just raise your hand, right? Like probably everybody, even those that aren't raising their hand, they just don't want to raise their hand, right? Everybody has a screwdriver at home, right? Probably everybody has a hammer. Probably everybody could scrounge up a pair of pliers, right? These are things that are very common tools that get used a ton, right? 
They're designed for a specific purpose, but sometimes you can even use them for other purposes, right? They're very common, though. Then there's these uncommon tools that not everybody has, right? We have a text message uh, group of, pe- of men that live in Sonoy, and anytime it rains or even talks about raining, we start texting about whether we're going to lose power or not, because you lose power a lot in Sonoy for whatever reason. And then we all start to have conversations about how we always intend to go buy a generator for days like this, and we still haven't gone and bought a generator. And so we talk about why do we never go buy a generator? It's because you rarely need a generator, right? Generators are, are there for emergency situations for most people. Now, some people have reasons to use them because they go camping or they do outdoor things where that becomes relevant. And that's most of the time when people have a generator. Most people don't own one just for the emergency purposes. But when you need a generator, man, you want a generator. I remember there was a day where back in the spring where we knew we were going to lose power and we were scrambling and I met James down 16 because he borrowed two generators from another guy and we're exchanging generators and gas because I didn't want to lose my supply of deer that I had killed that year, right? Like generators are really important when you know that you need a generator. Jesse might be the only person in our church that owns a winch on his truck, right? Winches are really important when you find yourself stuck, but most of us don't find ourselves stuck a lot of times. So Rarely are you going to think, oh, I need to spend some money to go put a winch on my car, right? These are uncommon tools. I wonder how many of you own a spark plug tool for when you're like installing your spark plugs. Like Jeremy has one. I don't have one because I take my car to some place to get spark plugs put on. So I never need that tool, right? But it's a really specific tool that you probably only ever use when you're changing out your spark plugs, but it has a really specific purpose, and it is needed by individuals who change out spark plugs. What's my point in all that? It's that some of us have the types of gifts that it becomes very clear and very obvious how we're to be used and how we're to use them. There's others of us who are very gifted in specific ways, and sometimes we don't always feel like there's a way to be used. But God has gifted every single one of us differently. And it's really important to note that you have a specific purpose in the kingdom. You are needed and your gifts are needed. I've been in situations before because I find myself in this situation a lot of times because I have to call people to come help me fix things because I'm not great at fixing things around my house. So if my, if my washer or dryer's messed up, I'm calling Charles Boer to come help me with that. I found myself in situations a lot of times where another guy shows up and we're talking about what's needed to fix this. And the guy will look at me and say, hey, can you go get this tool? And I'm like... Uh, one, I don't know what you're even talking about. And two, I probably don't have that tool, right? And it's kind of like this, this embarrassment that sets in. It's like, what's clear is that I probably should have this tool. This other fellow expects me to have this tool in my repertoire, right? Because that tool is important. That tool is needed and it serves a purpose, right? God has gifted each one of us individually. He's gifted us specially and he's given us unique talents and abilities to fulfill a purpose for his kingdom. And we need to maximize those things. We need to use those things in the ways that God has designed for us to. When you think about like uh, a sports team, it's so common for, especially on our football team at Trinity right now, everybody wants to be a quarterback or a running back. Nobody wants to be an offensive lineman. And we had to have a come to Jesus meeting with our team the other day that said, hey, you guys that keep going over to the running back line, there's like 10 of you over there. We don't play enough games for everybody to get the ball at the running back position. We need some of you to come play offensive line. We had a scrimmage Friday night. We have like six or seven guys that think they're a quarterback, right? The guy that's last on the list, like we're getting towards the end of the scrimmage, he comes up to me, he's like, coach, can I play? Like, can I get some reps at quarterback? And I was like, not now, because I mean, I'm thinking like, you're never going to play quarterback, right? And then he finally comes up again. He's like, coach, can I get some reps? And I said, okay, I'm going to put you in. I gave him the very first play that we teach, right? That's the very first play that we teach. I said, hey, run this play. And he said, what do I do on that play? And I, and I pulled him aside, just me and him, and I said, buddy, you're never going to be able to play quarterback if you're going to beg me for reps and not know the most basic play, right? He's going to have to find a different spot, a different position to play because he's not gifted to play that spot. We do ourselves no favors if we try to force ourselves to be used by God in certain ways that he hasn't gifted us. But what we are called to do is to use the gifts and abilities that he has given to us to encourage others and to build others up different roles. To be united and effective, we need people playing different positions and operating as different tools, even within our local church. Playing different positions, operating as different tools, 
to serve each other. We're to identify our giftedness and find ways to be useful in his kingdom. Go back to 1 Peter. We looked at this passage last week. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Note what Peter is saying there. We each have received a gift. We each need to find a way to use it. We use it in a way that it serves others. As good stewards, we recognize that we have varied levels of gifts. We identify those gifts and we, and we use them, whether we're a speaker, whether we're a server. We use those gifts for his glory. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified. Because we want God glorified in everything throughout all ends of the earth. And it's going to take everybody's gifts and abilities to ensure that that happens. We don't need everybody to be a screwdriver. We don't need everybody to be a hammer. Sometimes we need somebody to be a winch. Sometimes we need somebody to be uh, a generator, right? To, to have those unique gifts and abilities that maybe aren't as commonly found in others and to use those effectively for his glory. When we see gifts being used by others, we glory in Jesus for his provision because we've seen here in Ephesians 4 that it's a result of his work that we even have these gifts. So when we see others using their gifts, then we glory in Jesus for his provision versus being jealous that we don't have those things. When we see opportunities to use our gifts, we use them generously with a mindset of love and service to those around us. And when we see the use of our gifts resulting in the blessing and encouragement of others, we should rejoice and glory in Christ versus taking credit ourselves. Dale reminded me of this um, a couple weeks ago when I told him I was having to start to work on student schedules at Trinity. And I was you know, just kind of telling him, man, I'm dreading the amount of work it's going to take. I know I'm not to stay up late. And he texted me after that conversation. And he said, hey, just want to encourage you that in the process of your scheduling students, you have an ability to serve these kids because you're determining like where they're going to go the rest of this school year. Their friend groups, which classes they have when, and it's part of why I, like, I recognize that God has gifted me administratively in that way. Sometimes people criticize me for asking parents to, like, give me all their preferences about their schedules, because that just creates a lot of extra work for me. Like, I get all these preferences about, hey, I want to be with this kid, this kid, this kid, and then I don't want my kid to be with any of these kids. And it's like, wow, like, what a puzzle you've created for me, right? Um, I actually had one parent reach out to me because I didn't meet every one of their preferences. And she said, look, if you're not going to meet all my preferences, you just shouldn't ask for any of them. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I asked for these preferences because I want to serve. I want to serve our families with the gift that God has given to me. I could just make schedules for everybody and it would be a lot faster. But by taking those preferences in, I feel like I'm able to use that gift in a way to serve some of our kids that have unique needs, that have certain friends that they really need to be with if they're going to thrive, that have certain needs where they need to not be with certain people or else they're not going to thrive, right? And so we find ways to use our gifts to be an encouragement to others, to build others up. Now, how do we find our gifts and how do we use our gifts? Well, this is where we get into the last part of this section in our second point, number two. Recognize your gifts need to be informed, developed, and used. And this is where Paul reminds us that God has given individuals as gifts to the church to help you find your giftings and develop your giftings. It says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He's saying that your gifts need to be informed, developed, and then used. The idea being that these people that are highlighted here are people who teach the word of God. So you need to see yourself giftedly, but needing to submit your gifts to the teaching of God's word so that they can be developed properly. So they're being informed by God's word, developed by God's word, and then you're turning around and using them, verse 12 says. You don't just hang on to these gifts, you use them as a good steward. So number one, all the saints need, to, uh, need exposure to biblical teaching in order to use their gifts properly. 
All of the saints need exposure to biblical teaching in order to use their gifts properly. The emphasis is on God giving individuals who are gifted in articulating the gospel, teaching the word, and shepherding people to feast upon both of those things. These these positions that are highlighted, they are people who are gifted in articulating the gospel, teaching the word of God, and shepherding people to feast on both of those things. The leadership has the role of equipping the members to use their gifts in service to the rest of the church. Now, that doesn't minimize the role of a leader because how does a leader best equip? Well, think about in any setting, how does a leader or a, or a teacher best equip others to do what he does? Well, you teach the way, but then you also have to model the way, and you also have to be available to answer questions about the way. Hebrews thirteen seven. says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. There's that teaching piece. Remember your leaders, those who have taught you the word of God, those who have spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, right? So don't misinterpret this and think that there's a group of people in the church that are just supposed to tell you what to do, and then you're supposed to go do it. Now, if you look at the qualifications of a leader, Right? You look at the qualifications of an elder, the qualifications of a deacon. Man, those qualifications are littered with character traits and actions that that leader is carrying out. Right? It's an individual who has already found their giftings and are using their giftings and are being a great encouragement to others and serving others and loving others. That's how they get into a position of leadership like this. And then they're expected to then teach and guide others to live that same way, to use their gifts and use their abilities to love and serve others. Titus 2. This isn't even like formal leadership necessarily. This is just mature Christians, older men and older women in the church. Titus 2, starting in verse 1 down, talks about how those mature Christians are supposed to teach other younger Christians by modeling how to live certain ways. So leadership in the church, we're supposed to teach, but we're also supposed to model what it looks like to use your gifts and abilities to serve others. For us to be equipped properly, we must properly understand and utilize the word in our life. And teachers help us do that. Teachers help us to understand and utilize the word in our life. Look what Second Second Timothy 3 says. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How does Paul tell us to be equipped for every good work there? He says to remember what you've been taught, to remember who taught it to you, and to follow both of those things. To remember who's taught you, what they do, how they live, and to remember what they've taught you. And when you do that, when you cling to Scripture like that, it's profitable in such a way where it equips you for every good work. Now, he talks about these different leaders, and we're going we're gonna to go through this really quickly. Apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers. You know, How do we understand these roles within the church today? Well, I think... The apostle prophet positions are those foundational pieces that he mentions in Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 3.5. Remember, we talked about the apostles and the prophets laying this foundation. At a time when the New Testament wasn't written, you didn't have the canon of Scripture to go to. You were relying upon new revelation coming to God's human instruments who were then writing it down. So books like the book of Ephesians, right? Paul's saying in these other passages in Ephesians that the apostles and the prophets are foundational to this church that God's building. But once that foundation's laid and once you have the canon of Scripture complete, we don't need new revelation or new voices giving us information that we don't already have. And so I think these apostles and prophets are positions that were prevalent and current at that time, because you can read about prophets in the New Testament and other sections, but I think their purpose phased out, and so therefore we don't have these positions that we talk about readily today. Um, but we do have, I think, these, the, these evangelists and shepherds and teachers. These are individuals who are maybe more commonly understood as 
uh, modern-day missionaries, that idea of an evangelist, somebody who goes into new regions to share the gospel and articulate the gospel. Uh, Pastors are are what we typically think of when we think of shepherds, but I think there is a distinction between shepherd and teacher. There's overlap for sure, but even some distinction there because while every pastor is meant to be a teacher, not every teacher is meant to be a pastor, right? Like we have other teachers who aren't called pastors. We have teachers within the church, small group teachers, Sunday school teachers, Christian school teachers, uh, informal type teachings that take place. Somebody leads a Bible study and kind of teaches that. They're not known as a pastor, but these people are gifted in such a way to help us better understand God's word. And these people are gifts from God to the church, right? Gifts. And the only way that I can stand and do what I do on a Sunday is because God has transformed me. God has radically transformed me. He's empowered me by his Holy Spirit to teach. Now, there's other better teachers out there for sure, right? Like I have the gift of teaching maybe, but others have a better gift of teaching or a more thorough gift of teaching. But I'm called to use the gift that he's given me to the best of my abilities here in this context. Teachers are given to the church as gifts to grow people up in their faith. God has gifted and blessed his people through redemptive history with gifted proclaimers of his word all the time. And this is what it kind of looks like today in this day and age now to have pastors and teachers who are effectively talking about who God is through his word. The implication for us then is for you to use your gifts to the fullest. You need to be submitting yourself to the type of teaching that equips you with a biblical knowledge for how to serve others with your gifts. I hope you find that here. I hope you find that here at Sovereign Hope where you are under teaching, whether it's me or one of the other elders, that you are being taught in such a way to know God's word but not just to fill your head with knowledge, but to have practical ways to live that out and how to serve other people with that knowledge, with that hope that you've been given. Number two, all of the saints are meant to use their gifts as a means of building up the body of Christ. All of the saints are meant to use their gifts as a means of building up the body of Christ. He says the apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they're all given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Our works and the use of our gifts are meant to build each other up. Now, how do we build each other up? And this is where I would say we are all called to do the same thing, but how we do it looks different, right? We are all called, particularly if you think about the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, we are called to exhort each other so that we don't fall away or so we don't underperform in our Christian life. It says we're to exhort each other. It goes on to say we're encouraged to, uh, we're to encourage one another to even greater acts of faith in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. We'll close with this passage. So we're all called to exhort each other so that we don't fall away, and we're all called to encourage each other so that we're spurred on or stirred up to even greater good works and deeds. It says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So back in Ephesians, we're told to use our gifts to be equipped with God's word to then build others up. You go to this passage and it tells us a lot of the same stuff. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We're to be grounded in God's word. We're to be taught God's word so that we understand the hope that we have as believers and we hold fast to it. And then we use that knowledge to stir others up to love and good works. Let us consider how to use what we know and the gifts that God has given to us to stir others up to love and good works. So when we think about how to use our gifts and learning how to use our gifts, what have we seen this morning? And what are we seeing now in Hebrews? Number one, We need to ground ourselves in the hope extended to us by being taught the word. We will never use our gifts that God has given to us effectively if we are not actively being taught by his word how to use those gifts. We have to be taught in order to hold fast the confession of our hope. We need need the, the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. We need evangelists and pastors and teachers to to help us understand God's word. And so We need to ground ourselves in that hope. Step number two, we need to teach, encourage, and admonish one another with that same hope with our various gifts. Colossians chapter three, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? Be taught the word of God 
And then you turn around and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We need to teach, encourage, and admonish one another with that same hope with our various gifts. Step number three, we need to strive to love and do good works with a focus on inciting that same behavior in others. See, it's not enough to just do good works and love other people yourself because Hebrews tells us we're supposed to consider each other in such a way <clears throat> that I'm not content to just use my gifts. I want my gifts to result in you using your gifts more. And that's for everybody, not just pastors, right? He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do I use my gifts so that the kingdom gets more out of you? Man, this is a great illustration. I was sitting next to our PE teacher at lunch the other day. And uh, we were talking about this kid that we both just have a heart for. And he said, you know what? There was a day last year when we were playing and I saw the kid's emotions change and he was just kind of defeated and discouraged. And he said, we were walking back and he said, Mike, what's wrong with you? And Mike said, coach, these teams are unfair. They are unfair. And, And our coach pulled him aside and he said, you know what I do sometimes, Mike? Sometimes I make them intentionally unfair. Because he says, sometimes I want to see if certain people who I have a lot of faith and trust in will recognize that there are people that they need to get more out of if their team's going to be competitive. He said, I did that with you today, Mike. He said, I put you on the team that had less because I wanted to see if you would use your gifts to stir it up in others to get more out of them, that you would respond and see, hey, we got to do more here if we're going to be competitive, right? That's what's happening in Hebrews 10. He says, I want you to hold fast to your hope and then look to others and consider others and say, how do I stir you up to do more too? Which kind of implies number four, that we need to be open for our need for others to keep us encouraged and challenged in our own personal walk too. Right? If we're saying that others need you to encourage them and stir them up, then you probably need to be encouraged and stirred up yourself sometimes. So we need to be open to that. We need to be open to people speaking into our life stirring us up to do more as well. How do we do this? Well, going back to Hebrews, he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, you do this by making a habit to assemble when these purposes can be fulfilled. He's saying, you have to get together with other believers when the purpose of that gathering can be such where you are encouraging each other and challenging each other, inspiring each other to live according to God's word. Sometimes that's possible here. If you arrive early, if you stay a little bit late, then you can serve that purpose of having conversations and encouraging one another. It's not always the ideal time because a lot of times we're coming in, we're sitting, we're not participating in the ways that we've got it set up right now, and then we're out but we do provide opportunities within our church structure, right? We provide it through our small group ministry, our D group ministry, where we get smaller and smaller in our gatherings. Why? So that the voices that have to be spoken are your voices and not just mine or not just an elder's, right? We want the voices that you're hearing to be mature Christians who can speak truth into your life, stir you up to love and good works, but also so you can use your gifts and abilities. That's why we don't have like set leadership even within our D groups, because we just want a group of men to come together, a group of women to come together to study God's word together and to incite each other to live life according to God's word, to stir each other up to love and to good works. And we need to make a habit of assembling this way. And we need to keep doing it more and more, not less and less as we get older, because he tells us to keep doing it more and more as we get closer to Jesus coming back. So you don't get to an age where you're like, nah, you know what, I don't need small groups anymore. I don't need to assemble in small settings because I've, I've reached a point where I just don't need that anymore. No, he says, as we get, and we're, every day we get closer. So every day we should be thinking, I need to assemble more and more and more with other believers. Why? Because Matthew 24 says, when we get closer to Jesus coming back, there's coldness and there's deception and there's a tendency to fall away from the faith. But not if we'll hold fast not if we'll receive encouragement from others to hold fast. Our identity truths to remember today, number one, every Christian has been given gifts that need to be developed under the teaching of the word and then used to serve other believers. You have unique gifts and abilities. God has given them to you. They might be common, they might be less common, but you are needed for this earth to be filled with his glory 
And we hope that you find ways of encouragement here to use those gifts under the effective teaching of God's word. Application, application questions for you to ask as you leave and go about your week. Number one, am I taking intentional steps to listen and apply the teaching of God's word in my life? And do I see tangible growth as a result? Am I taking intentional steps to listen and apply the teaching of God's word in my life? And do I see tangible growth as a result? Real basic here, is the method that you're using coming here on a Sunday, taking notes, not taking notes, re-listening to the sermon, not re-listening to the sermon, thinking about the application questions, not thinking about the application questions. Does your current process of how you approach the teaching of God's word into your life, is that resulting in growth or not? And, and, and really think about that. And if it's not, then you need to change your process of how you're, how you're applying God's word and how you're listening to God's word so that it does, right? Are you taking intentional steps to listen and apply the teaching of God's word in your life? And do you see tangible growth as a result? Because that's necessary for you to use your gifts effectively. And then number two, what habits will I have this year as it relates to assembling with others for the means of exhortation and encouragement? We hope that your habit will be that as we start up our small groups, that you will be very involved in C groups and very involved in D groups because we've structured these times for you to have what we're talking about. This ability to use your gifts and abilities to encourage each other and to stir each other up to good works. But maybe your schedule doesn't work in such a way where you can be a part of those things. Well, then it's on you to try to figure out how do I then assemble? How do I make it a habit? Some of us are in the habit of not assembling. He says, don't be that person. Don't neglect to assemble. Don't neglect to meet because that's the habit of some people. Instead, have the habit of doing the opposite. Have the habit of assembling together so that you can use your gifts to encourage each other. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you have gifted us as a result of that salvation. We thank you that you have filled us with your spirit and you've taken who we are as individuals and you've transformed us so that we can use our special gifts to encourage each other, to stir each other up. God, help us to see those gifts that you've given to us. Help us not to be jealous of gifts that other people have. Help us not to be uh, disappointed with the gifts that you've given to us. Instead, help us to see that your gifts are given intentionally for us to do good works so that your glory is in all of this earth. So God, help us to embrace the role that you've given to us and help us to use the gifts within this local church Help us to play the position that you've called us to play. Help us to be the tool that you've called us to be. God, help us to know you through your word, to have our gifts informed by the hope that's extended to us so that we can then point others to you with those gifts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.